0: Welcome, listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to For Fox Sake, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm the OG host, Ellen. And to my
1: left is the noob, Carly. New to consistent hosting, but not new to your hearts. Definitely not new to mind support, Badger. Shouldn't be. Nope. Well, let's fly into the Phoenix flashback. Last week, we covered part three of the longest chapter ever, 35, Beyond the Veil. Murder munchers continue to stomp... Fly? ...around the Department of Mysteries. Ron is attacked by his worst enemy while Book Jenny shows us what a true badass is. Lucius shows up with a bunch of other adults to attack children. Bellatrix shows her awful colors by taunting Neville about his parents, while Lucius taunts Harry. The Death Eaters ride their smoke ponies around, grabbing the kids as they go. The movie has Lucius being Butterfingers, when really it's Neville and the prophecy is lost. The Murder Munchers fight with Dumbledore's army until the Order, and in the book Dumbledore shows up in both bellatrix kills our god daddy and flees from the scene leaving us absolutely devastated
0: during episode 184 tackle prophecy our potter pondering was what do you think is on the other side of that veil
2: hi ellen and carly miss you katie this is ashley with this week's potter pondering what do i think is behind the veil that snatched my boy Sirius oh I have no idea and as a child while reading this that pondered me quite a lot because I was very attached to Sirius as a character although Harry wasn't my favorite character because I was a kid and the book is written from his perspective what he was emotional how I was emotional about so I was mad Harry couldn't go live with Sirius because Harry needed to go live with Sirius. I was mad when Sirius didn't get his name cleared because Sirius was supposed to get his name cleared because he didn't do shit and that pissed Harry off and it pissed me off too because I was a kid and very impressionable. So I was really distraught by his death as a child. It pissed me off. I really wanted to know what was behind that veil and I had no fucking idea. Uh, just throwing some theories out there. Obviously death, hell or something. I don't know. I really don't know. I'm very interested in hearing everyone else's
0: thoughts on this. G'day, guys, it's Jackson bringing in my pot of pondering for this week. What do I think lies beyond the veil? Ooh, that really is an interesting one. Um, if I had to take a guess, I'd just say... The next step, whatever that is. I mean, I don't think it would be like Limbo, where Harry ended up in Deathly Hallows because he chose to die and he had a choice whether to go back. Sirius fell through the veil, which feels different to me. I feel like it just leads to whatever's next, whatever afterlife there is. So, yeah, it just feels like a one-way ticket to... Whatever's next. That's all I can think of, really.
3: Hi, this is Jessica calling in this week's Potter Pondering. What is on the other side of the veil? This is a tough one. If the veil is a manifestation of the barrier between life and death, then does that mean that afterlife is on the other side? Or some kind of purgatory does a base where you go on the person you are like Sirius would have gone to some sort of heaven while if douches passed through he would go to like a a hell is it just like a gateway that opened and never closed and it should have never been there because apparently the room was built around the archway so how long has it actually been there (laughs) I can't decide what might be on the other side it's just like bringing up more questions of what exactly it is and how it works and why and where it came from but i can't even begin to process what the after effect of passing through it might be so is the arch like a one-way door like it kills you when you pass through so then you can't get back through but it's just like another alternate universe or like just like another plane of existence just like a realm where like a different life that kind of but like is it good or bad or is it just like full of like ghosts because yeah i don't know it's really confusing like is it just kind of like limbo like i don't know like that's yeah that's very interesting I obviously added a lot of deep and meaningful thoughts to the podcast this week. So you are welcome. (laughs) Bye.
1: Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was, Which Order member continues to duel with Bellatrix after Sirius is killed? Kingsley takes over the duel with Bellatrix.
0: Congratulations goes to Jackson Miller! Yay! Apparently, Podbean is still having issues connecting to Facebook, so we'll just have to make sure to manually post the episode to our Facebook page in the future until it's fixed. But despite that, Jackson was ready with the answer, even going as far as posting it in our patron group chat to make sure we knew he knew it. (laughs) Is he going to start up a streak? Is Kalista or Mike going to be back since it should be back to its normal day? Will someone else sweep in for the win?
1: You never know. For now, let's dive into Chapter 36, The Only One He Ever Feared, and its corresponding film scenes.
0: Chapter 36, The Only One He Ever Feared. Harry yells his absolute denial that Sirius is gone and struggles with all his might against Lupin's grip. He's sure that Lupin just doesn't understand that people hide behind that curtain, and Sirius is also just hiding out of sight. He bellows Sirius' name, and Lupin's voice breaks as he informs Harry that he can't come back. He repeats that and begins to explain that it's because he's dead, but Harry cuts him off to insist that he is not dead. All of the noise and curses flying around them is completely meaningless. The only thing that matters to Harry is that Lupin stops pretending that Sirius isn't going to emerge at any moment to re-enter the battle. He continues to stare at the dais as Lupin drags him away from it, starting to feel angry that Sirius is keeping him waiting. As he continues to fight to break free of Lupin's grip, part of him realizes that Sirius has never made him wait before. He had always risked everything to see him and help him, and if he isn't responding to his screaming for him now, it's because he really can't. At this point, Dumbledore has most of the remaining Death Eaters grouped in the middle of the room, contained by what appears to be invisible ropes. Mad-Eye Moody has crawled across the room to where Tonks is lying unconscious and is trying to revive her, and Kingsley has taken over the duel with Bellatrix. With his legs still jerking uncontrollably, Neville slides down the stone benches to be near Harry and apologizes to him, wondering if that man had been a friend of his. Harry nods and Lupin performs Venite to stop Neville's legs before saying they should go find the others. He asks Neville where they are, sounding like every word is causing him pain. As Neville describes where they are and what happened to each of them, a loud bang and a yell comes from behind the dais. Harry sees Kingsley yelling in pain as he hits the ground, and Bellatrix takes off running. Dumbledore turns and aims a spell at her, but she deflects it and is halfway up the stairs when Harry manages to break free from Lupin's loosened grip and runs after her. Lupin calls for him to stop, but Harry just yells that she killed Sirius and he'll kill her. More people shout after him, but he doesn't care and follows her into the brain room. She aims a curse over her shoulder and the tank rises into the air and tips over, covering Harry with a foul-smelling potion from it. The brains slide over him and begin to grab at him with their tentacles, but he shouts Wingardium Leviosa and sends them flying up and away. He leaps over Luna and past a confused Ginny, a giggling Ron, and a still unconscious Hermione. He opens the door leading to the circular black hallway and sees Bellatrix disappear through the door leading back to the lifts. He runs towards her, but she closes the door and the room spins before he can reach her, leaving him wondering aloud where the way out is. The room seems to hear him and the door right behind him flies open, revealing the corridor to the lifts. Harry takes off running again as the lift clatters up and pushes the button to call another one. When it stops and opens in front of him, he dashes in and slams the button for the atrium. He forces himself through the gates before they fully open and sees that Bellatrix is nearly at the telephone lift. She hesitates to shoot another spell at him and he dodges by ducking behind the Fountain of Magical Brethren. The spell misses him, hitting the Golden Gates behind him instead. Bellatrix has stopped running and begins to call out to Harry in her mock baby voice telling him to come out and saying she thought he came after her to avenge her dear cousin. Harry yells back that he did, and she continues to mock him, asking if he loved him. He feels such hatred that he flings himself out from behind the fountain and bellows Crucio! Bellatrix screams but recovers quickly and yells to Harry in her normal voice about never having used an unforgivable curse, saying he needs to mean them and has to want to cause pain. She says she will show him how it's done and then screams Crucio herself. Harry ducks back behind the fountain to avoid the curse. Bellatrix yells that he can't win against her, calling herself the Dark Lord's most loyal servant and saying she knows spells he could never hope to compete with. Harry tries to hit her with stupefy, but she quickly shields herself and tells Potter she will give him one chance to give her the prophecy. Harry retorts that she will have to kill him because it's gone. He feels a surge of fury separate from his own and a pain in his scar and informs Bellatrix that Voldemort knows it's gone and won't be happy with her. For the first time, there's fear in her voice as she asks what he means and calls him a liar when he explains that the prophecy broke when he was trying to get Neville up the steps. Bellatrix begins trying to summon the prophecy, and Harry laughs, knowing it will make her more angry, and tells her there's nothing to summon. She again calls him a liar, but also begins screaming and pleading with her master not to punish her. Harry closes his eyes against the pain in his scar and yells back that she shouldn't waste her breath since he can't hear her from there. But a high, cold voice responds, "'Can't I, Potter?' He opens his eyes and sees Voldemort standing in front of him in the middle of the hall. He stares back at Harry, asking about the prophecy and then informing Bellatrix that Potter is not lying and that after months of preparation and effort, his Death Eaters have let Harry Potter thwart him again. Bellatrix sobs that she's sorry and didn't know since she was fighting the Animagus Black. She flings herself down at his feet and begins to warn him that Dumbledore is there, but instead, Voldemort tells her to be quiet and attacks Harry with Vada Kedavra. Harry doesn't even have the opportunity to react, but the now headless golden wizard statue from the fountain springs to life and deflects the spell from Harry. Voldemort is initially confused, but then sees Dumbledore and raises his wand to attack him instead. Dumbledore disappears with a whirl of his cloak and reappears behind Voldemort while waving his wand to bring the rest of the fountain to life. The witch statue charges towards Bellatrix and pins her to the floor, while the goblin and the house elf statues charge Voldemort, and the headless wizard backs Harry away from the fight. Dumbledore tells Voldemort that it was foolish of him to come there, calling him Tom, and informing him that the oars are on their way. Voldemort insists that by then he will be gone and Dumbledore will be dead, and sends another killing curse his way. Dumbledore flicks his wand to create an incredibly powerful shield and deflects the curse with a gong-like sound. Voldemort asks if he does not seek to kill him, and Dumbledore calmly reminds him that there are other ways of destroying a man, and admits that merely taking his life would not be enough. Voldemort snarls back that there's nothing worse than death, but Dumbledore continues to move closer to him as he lightly disagrees. Harry wants to call out a warning, seeing the headmaster walk towards Voldemort undefended, but his headless guard keeps blocking every attempt to get from behind it. Dumbledore calls Voldemort's failure to understand that there are things much worse than death, his greatest weakness, but the dark wizard cuts him off with another killing curse. The centaur statue gallops in front of it and takes the blast, shattering into hundreds of pieces. Before they even hit the floor, Dumbledore brandishes his wand to send a long, thin flame towards Voldemort. It wraps around him, and Harry thinks Dumbledore has won, until the flame turns into a snake that immediately releases Voldemort and turns its sights on Dumbledore, ready to strike. Voldemort vanishes and reappears on the plinth where the statues once stood. Harry shouts for Dumbledore to look out as Voldemort shoots another killing curse at the old wizard and the snake strikes. This time, Fox swoops down and swallows the jet of green light whole, then bursts into flames and falls to the floor as a reborn baby phoenix. Simultaneously, Dumbledore uses his wand and sends the snake flying into the air, where it vanishes into a wisp of smoke, as well as causes the water in the fountain pool to rise and surround Voldemort. He appears to struggle for a few seconds, but then disappears. Bellatrix screams for her master, and Harry again tries to come out from behind the statue, but Dumbledore orders him to stay put, sounding frightened for the first time. Harry doesn't understand why until his scar explodes with pain, and he feels he's in the clutches of a creature with red eyes, bound by pain with no escape. The creature speaks, using Harry's own mouth, and tells Dumbledore to kill him, saying if death is nothing, kill the boy. Harry is in such pain he wants to die and thinks that he'll be able to see Sirius again. The thought fills his heart with emotion and all of a sudden the creature's coils loosen and the pain dissipates, leaving Harry lying face down on the floor, shivering. There are more voices in the hall now and Dumbledore is leaning over him to check on him. Harry tells him he's alright and begins asking where Voldemort went and who all the people were. He looks around to see all the witches and wizards arriving through the emerald green flames that appeared in the fireplaces, along one wall, and sees a stunned-looking Cornelius Fudge being led forward by the house elf and goblin statues. A man in scarlet robes shouts that he saw you-know-who grab a woman and disapparate, and Fudge stammers that he saw him too, gasping that it doesn't seem possible. Dumbledore requests that he proceed to the Department of Mysteries, where he will find several escaped Death Eaters contained in the death chamber. Fudge is shocked to see Dumbledore and clearly wants to shout for an aura to seize him, but the Headmaster thunders that he will fight his men and win again, but also points out that Cornelius just saw proof that he's been telling the truth for a year. Lord Voldemort has returned, and it's time he listened to Sense. Fudge blusters before agreeing to send oars to the Department of Mystery, then demands Dumbledore tell him exactly what happened. Dumbledore agrees to, but only after he sends Harry back to Hogwarts. Fudge is now shocked to learn that Harry is there, and Dumbledore repeats that he will fill him in after Harry is back at school. He then points his wand at the golden wizard head and mutters, Portus. Fudge begins to protest that Dumbledore doesn't have the authorization to make that portkey, but trails off as Dumbledore surveys him over his spectacles and informs the minister that he will give the order to remove Dolores Umbridge from Hogwarts and tell his oars to stop searching for his Care of Magical Creatures teacher. He glances at his watch and tells him that he will give him a half hour of his time to cover the important parts of what happened there. Then after that, he needs to return to his school saying that if he needs more help, letters addressed to the headmaster will find him at Hogwarts. Fudge stammers again, but Dumbledore simply turns to Harry and instructs him to take the portkey and says he will see him in half an hour. He counts to three and Harry feels the familiar sensation of a hook jerking from behind his navel and leaves the atrium in a whirlwind of color and sound.
1: The movie starts as Bellatrix gives a low, evil laugh and stares down Harry, who is looking up at her as he struggles in Lupin's grasp. She begins to back away, then turns and makes a run for it, and Harry breaks free and takes off after her. As he chases her through the atrium, she calls back to him in a sing-songy voice that she killed Sirius Black and cackles. Harry hits her with Crucio and knocks her to the ground. He stands over her, holding her at one point as she whimpers. Voldemort's voice is heard telling Harry that he's got to mean it and reminding him that she killed him and saying she deserves it and he knows the spell. The Dark Lord then glides out to him from the shadows in a smoky blur as Bellatrix laughs again. He fully manifests behind Harry and orders him to do it. Harry turns and begins to raise his wand to Voldemort, but the dark wizard slashes his hand through the air and disarms him instead. As Harry stands there panting and wandless, Voldemort calls him weak, but is then interrupted by Dumbledore's green-flamed arrival through one of the fireplaces. He steps out as the flames disappear and holds out his own wand, halfway up, as he says, It was foolish of you to come here tonight, Tom. The Aurors are on their way. Voldemort responds that by then he will be gone and Dumbledore will be dead. The two face off against each other, Dumbledore first sending Harry sliding off to the side, out of the way of the fight. Bellatrix retreats to the fireplace, disappearing in her own green flames. And the two wizards cast spells at one another that clash in midair, sending sparks of light around the atrium, breaking off pieces of tile and sending them flying and falling. Harry covers his head as debris falls around him, and Dumbledore and Voldemort continue to hold their clashing red and green lights. Voldemort then pulls up his wand and catches a ball of green light, breathing on it to turn it into fire, and laughing as it turns into a giant fire snake. Dumbledore looks up at it as he takes a step back and brandishes his wand to send the fire back towards Voldemort before then summoning the water from the fountain pool to encase the dark wizard in a globe of liquid. Harry stands and moves behind Dumbledore, readying his own wand, but the headmaster sends him back to the ground safely behind him again. Voldemort breaks out of the water globe with a splash and begins admitting a black aura of magic towards Dumbledore before screaming and spreading his arms wide, sending a burst of power that knocks him over and shatters all the glass in the atrium, which shreds the giant banner of Cornelius Fudge. Just as the glass hits the ground, Voldemort raises his wand above his head in both hands and sends it flying towards Dumbledore and Harry. Dumbledore raises a shield that turns the glass into sand, leaving them unharmed. As they both get to their feet, Voldemort watches in disappointment before disappearing in a cloud of sand that falls to the floor and rustles towards Harry, who gasps and falls to the ground in pain. Dumbledore turns to look at Harry, who speaks to him in Voldemort's voice, informing him that he's lost. Harry then sees flashes of his traumatic memories, the death of his mother, Sirius, and Cedric. As Harry continues to struggle, Dumbledore softly says his name, but he keeps seeing flashes of Mr. Weasley's attack and Voldemort's influence over his emotions and dreams. Dumbledore leans over him and calmly tells him that it isn't how they are alike. It's how they're not. Harry arches up off the floor before falling back down in pain, looking off towards the side of the atrium where Ron and Hermione come running in, closely followed by Jenny, Luna, and Neville. They watch their friend writhe in pain as he looks back at them and calms some, seeing more flashes of memories, this time happy ones, Hermione hugging him, seeing his parents in the mirror of Erised, hugging Sirius, and laughing with his best friends. He manages to say that Voldemort is the weak one, who will never know love and friendship. As he tells the Dark Lord he feels sorry for him, he is hit with more flashes of memories as Voldemort leaves his body, but leans over him to inform him that he is a fool and will lose everything. Before he can do anything else, witches and wizards begin appearing through the green-flamed fireplaces and Cornelius Fudge gets a good glimpse of the Dark Lord before he disappears in another smoky cloud. The minister is shocked to see that Voldemort is back, and he, Percy Weasley, and all the other Aurors, as well as Harry's friends, all slowly approach Dumbledore, who is supporting Harry on the ground. This image transitions to a picture in the Daily Prophet, with the headline declaring Dumbledore and Potter vindicated. Before spiraling to another article about the minister's resignation, through several other articles, before showing another one about Umbridge being suspended pending an investigation. Then more articles before hesitating on a headline about he who must not be named returning. And finally, one about Hogwarts headmaster being reinstated, including a picture of Hogwarts, which the camera zooms in on.
0: So there are parts in this that they did word for word and kind of similar. They really did. But there's also a lot that they left out. (laughs) I know. (laughs) It's kind of crazy. Even the way that they transitioned into Harry running after Bellatrix was different. Yeah. Because in the book they had him still going through the whole denial that Sirius was even dead. And fighting Lupin. And he's kind of ignoring everything else that's happening around him. But it also mentions what's happening around him. Because Dumbledore is in this scene, he's not in the movie, but in the book he is, and he's gathered up all of the remaining murder munchers with the exception of Bellatrix, who is now dueling
1: Kingsley. And that was our trivia question. Yeah, so, yay! Good job, Jackson. Good job, Jackson.
0: While this is all going on, Neville, despite his tap-dancing legs, manages to scoot his way down to him on the steps, and apologizes, and he's just like, I'm sorry, was that man a friend of yours? Which just really, like... Neville showed up to save this dude, not even knowing that this is Harry's godfather.
1: I don't think Harry explained to them, Jenny, Luna, and Neville, why he wanted to go to the ministry. Jenny knew. Cause Jenny knew because she knows Sirius. But the other two still think that Sirius Black is a convicted murderer. Well, Luna thinks Luna he's thinks a he's rock star. <laughs> from a band. But, you know. So they're all for saving him,
0: though. Yeah. they have
1: no idea. And that's just amazing. I think this really shows Neville's compassionate side because he's really like he's there for Harry. Yeah. He doesn't know why they're going to the ministry. He's just like, I'm going to go with you because I'm going to make sure you're safe. And he's so sweet. And you know what? There was that moment in one of the books. I don't remember which
0: one off the top of my head, but he made a comment about how he should have been in Hufflepuff. And maybe he should have been. For this moment, because this really shows his loyalty. But I mean that as a compliment and not Neville talking down on himself. Absolutely.
1: And Neville did not mean it as a compliment to himself. No, he didn't. But I think it also shows his bravery that he's willing to go with Harry.
0: No, undoubtedly, Neville proves he's Gryffindor.
1: This absolutely proves it. I mean, we don't really get Neville's Gryffindor until he pulls the sword out of the hat. But we'll get there.
0: We'll get there. It's just so sweet. And I love it. And it makes me sad that it wasn't something included in the movie. But they also took a lot away from Harry's friends. We also find out that Tonks is unconscious. And Mad-Eye literally had to crawl across the room to try and help her.
1: Which is super sweet. I know.
0: She's his protege. And then Lupin addresses Harry and Neville... He does finite, like you said it needed to happen. He does it, gets Neville's legs to stop moving of their own accord, and then starts talking to him about finding their friends and where they are, and Neville's telling him all about what happened. And they get distracted by a yell of pain coming from Kingsley, who has been overtaken but thankfully not killed. Bellatrix and this is when she takes off running it's not immediate like they show us in the movie scene last week we talked about how she killed Sirius
1: and bolted I think in the movie they made it more pointed like Harry realized right away there was no if ands or buts if Sirius was dead or not well
0: yeah I mean the way he floated up ghostly like into the curtain there wasn't that room left for what just happened
1: No, the curtains were more transparent and flowy in this. So it wasn't like he fell behind black curtains and could very easily be on the other side. Exactly. It was more apparent. Yes.
0: And then, like I was saying, Dumbledore is actually in this scene. So he tries to stop Bellatrix from getting away, but she deflects his spell and makes it halfway up the stairs. And this is when Harry manages to break free from Lupin's grip because, unfortunately in everything and Dumbledore showing up he's kind of loosened it so Harry gets away and starts sprinting up the stairs after her and Lupin's trying to tell him to stop but Harry's just like no she killed Sirius I'll kill her which I mean I get it caps lock Harry I do but this is not smart
1: I listen to the books frequently and I always forget Some of these details because, you know, you half listen sometimes after you've listened to them a thousand times. But I forget these small details like that Kingsley was fighting Bellatrix and she didn't leave right away. No, it's amazing how a lot of these
0: times they just don't even process for you until you start looking at it as closely as we do comparing the two. But another thing we didn't get in the movie was that... It's sort of just time jumped, which we'll get to, but he just runs after Bellatrix and then they're in the atrium. The book shows us that he has to run past his friends and kind of like jump over them. And Ginny's like, what the fuck's going on, Harry? And Hermione's still unconscious and Ron's giggling because of the brains. And Bellatrix actually sends a spell to break the tank of brains. And they like spill all over Harry and start to grab at him. But he's quick and uses Wingardium Leviosa to get them up in the air and off of him and just keeps on running. But she has enough of a head start that she's in that round room with the moving doors before Harry can get into it. And she's through another door and closing it. And the room starts spinning. So now he doesn't even know which door is the way out. And he says that out loud and the room just opens the door for him. So apparently Department of Mysteries will mysteriously let you leave because they don't want you there, but they won't let you in easily.
1: It must be so chaotic to work in this department. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I wonder if you know what room you need specifically in the name of it. If you can say some kind of like magic code. Show me the death room.
1: You're probably authorized. There's probably some magic authorization that happens. Like, here's my badge. Let me find yeah. the death room or the brain room or, you know, whatever. whatever.
0: The time room or the love room. or, <laughs> In this case, the exit. And they'll let anybody out because they'll let you leave. But they don't want to let you in.
1: The reverse of Hotel California.
0: but by the time he gets through this door that opens on its own for him when he asks, Bellatrix is already getting on a lift, so he has to sprint to the lifts, it's closing, it's going up, he has to push the button to wait for another one, which thankfully, with everybody else having just come down, I imagine there's several already down there. But he gets in, rides it up to the atrium level, and once it stops and the gates start to open, he's squeezing his way through them before they even open all of the way. And she's already practically at the lift to get out.
1: So this is making me think, he used Wingardium Leviosa on the brains to hold them in place above him. And in Hogwarts Legacy, you're like constantly shooting at enemies to float them up so they stay where you can attack them Or, Harry, we need some dueling practice. Yeah. We don't get any of those details in the movie, but otherwise the same thing does happen. Harry chases Bella Trash from the dais room. As he runs after her, she teases that, I killed Sirius Black, because she's trash. Trash. Yeah. Yeah, she doesn't
0: mock him like that in the book, but I'm not upset about it. I mean, I'm upset about it because it's a trashy thing to do, but like, I'm not upset that they added that in the movie. It worked really well with the way she played Bellatrix.
1: I feel like that was an HBC choice.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I would go with that too. That just feels right. But she does stop before getting into the lift to exit to turn and shoot another spell at him, which he dodges by getting behind that Fountain of Magical Brethren. So it misses him, hits the gates behind him, kind of makes this gong-like sound. And now, because he's there, and it's just the two of them, and she's fully confident that she can overpower this child. An adult. Yes. She decides to stop running and start mocking him now. Not the same I killed Sirius Black, but this is that mock baby voice that she loves to use, and they did kind of utilize that in the movie as well saying to come out i thought you came after me to avenge my dear cousin and just ew harry tells her that he did and she's just like oh did you love
1: him okay but does she use that voice with delphi <laughs> <laughs> interesting we can talk about time yeah we'll we get, get there. there we'll
0: get there But this mocking voice that she's using on him makes him feel such a strong surge of hatred that he just jumps out from behind the fountain and tries to use Crucio on her. Which she screams, and I'm sure that it didn't feel good, but it's a very quick recovery and she returns to her normal voice Still mocking him, though, but to say, clearly you've never used an unforgivable curse before. You need to mean them. You have to want to cause pain. And then she offers to show him how it's done by giving him a, you know, live demonstration. <laughs> like, let me do Crucio
1: on you. I feel like she was also kind of surprised that he got anything out. and that Probably. scream. that scream was probably surprise and also oh that hurt a little bit yeah probably this kind of happens in the movie too but they do change how it occurs as she sings songs her taunt harry attacks her with crucio she falls to the floor and acts very nervous as harry towers over her which i hate yeah it's
0: definitely not how it happened in the book because she mocks him in the book she's just like ha ha ha, you're too weak to make me hurt for real
1: and I don't know if she's pretending, but they didn't do a good job playing that off. Like she looks legitimately scared of Harry, right? And she would never, ever be scared of Harry. No, I absolutely agree. And like I said, it's not how it happened in the book. But the camera spins around Harry, and there's a voiceover where we hear Voldemort, uh, not Bellatrix, say, say it one that more you. Time. Okay, just so it flows. <clears throat> Then, as the camera spins around Harry, there's a voiceover where we hear Voldemort, not Bellatrix, say that you have to mean it.
0: Yeah, that's definitely a change. It's not the worst change ever, but I kind of liked his entrance better in the book than here.
1: Yeah, I think it probably was better in the book. I like the way that they did this for, I guess, time's sake. Yeah, but it flowed well. It did. At least tickled a similarity (laughs) yes very lightly similar but the camera spins to the back of harry's head and we see the wisp of voldemort appear and he looks like he's gonna lick harry and it bothers me so much
0: (laughs) i never saw that until you pointed it out now i can't unsee it it's like the bat balls
1: in (laughs) the first movie yeah but that bat balls was also my episode was it yeah it was bat balls he does it a lot they do a lot of tongue stuff with voldemort and i guess because he's supposed to be a snake it's supposed to be like eh I'm yeah, sure. at least
0: they didn't fork his tongue or something at least crazy. they didn't fork his
1: tongue that's true but harry realizes that something's behind him and he turns around to see voldemort in all his glory has fully appeared he knocks harry's wand out of his hand and harry continues to hear voldy's voice in his head calling him weak
0: Yeah, Voldemort, like I said, does not just show up yet in the book. He's got an entrance. It's like a mic drop moment.
1: Well, he is the most overdramatic.
0: (laughs) Definitely. But like I said, Bellatrix does Crucio back on Harry because she's not lying on the ground scared of him. He ducks back behind the fountain again, avoids the curse. It ends up hitting the statue I believe this is the one that knocks the head off of the wizard. And she's still in taunt mode. She's like, you can't win against me. I'm the Dark Lord's most loyal servant. She also mentions that she can do spells he could never hope to compete with. Definitely would not be
1: lying on the floor looking scared. Bella is not, in OT, his most loyal servant. She might be his most loyal, but... She is not his most loved. Like, he doesn't love, but, you know, he has, like, rankings. She's, like, maybe five. Yeah. I would say Barty Crouch Jr. was one for a hot minute. Shit, if Barty
0: Crouch Jr. could have had Voldemort's baby, he probably would have gotten it first. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) But she's definitely his craziest and most obsessive supporter.
1: Yeah.
0: So I guess Harry has decided that He can't mean Crucio enough because he's just not that evil. He's angry, but he's not bad. So he gives up trying to use unforgivable curses on her and switches to stupefy. I think his real downfall here was the fact that he didn't go with Expelliarmus. That probably would have worked. I was about to (laughs) say the same thing. Yeah. But even though he throws stupefy at her, she's able to shield herself. Like I said, not Expelliarmus. And she tells him that she'll give him one chance to give her the prophecy. And he's just like, you're just going to have to kill me then because it's gone. It broke when I was trying to get Neville up the stairs. And as he's saying this, he feels this absolute surge of fury that is not his own. Coupled with a pain in the scar. And we all know what that means.
1: So is he using Occlumency on Bella right now? And hears Harry say that? I think he's just in Harry's head right now. Oh, well, he might be. Yeah. I that's feel true. like
0: he's probably been in Harry's head the whole time to watch what's going on and to know when to send the Death Eaters in and shit.
1: But then he would know that the
0: prophecy was destroyed already. And eh, there's been some chaos. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Know. But in and out, maybe it's too difficult to stay there consistently. So he just like pops in and checks it out every now and then. But this pain and his scar tells Harry that Voldemort is now alerted to the destruction of the prophecy. And he starts taunting Bellatrix back with that. And she calls him a liar, but also knows that he's not lying at this point. She's trying to summon it from him and nothing's happening. And he's just laughing at her. So she's freaking out. And she literally starts screaming and pleading with her master not to punish her. Cause she didn't know she didn't know. And Harry's just like, Save your breath. He can't hear you. And this is the moment where Voldemort's just like, Can't I potter? Boom, mic drop. Like, that is an entrance right there. Like he was standing in the shadows, waiting, just waiting for the fucking moment to
1: walk in. It's like hiding in the elevator waiting. Did he say it yet? Did he say it yet?
0: Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, there oh it that's is. my cue. <laughs>
1: <laughs> At this
0: point. Harry looks and sees Voldemort standing right in front of him. And this gets kind of, oh shit. They're just staring at each other. He does kind of ask him specifically just to make absolutely sure that the prophecy has been destroyed. But just looking at him, probably doing legilimens, knows without a doubt that Harry Potter is not lying. And that prophecy is long gone. And after months and months of all of this work that you know, he put way too much effort into this. Because he over-plans everything, and that's why everything goes wrong. But after all of this preparation, his murder munchers have let Harry Potter thwart him again.
1: It'd be like that.
0: Bellatrix starts sobbing. She didn't know she was fighting the animagus Black. It's interesting to me that that's how she refers to him. Like, this is her fucking cousin.
1: Yeah, but admitting that you're related to a blood traitor like that... I mean,
0: that's fine. Like, I'm not saying she needs to be like, I was fighting my cousin. Just, why Magis?
1: That just seems so strange. Because that makes him less? I suppose. It doesn't, though. I feel like it's kind of a compliment. It's really hard to become an Animagis. Right. So, it's more magic. Like, he's way more magical than you. So... So.
0: Okay, whatever.
1: You think it's offensive. But it's not. It's not. I
0: wouldn't have been offended. But like I said, being super loyal and dramatic and Trash. the crazy, trashy follower, she flings herself down at his feet. And I imagine she's like gripping the hems of his robes and not like. Not with those toenails. <laughs> pleading and begging. But she tries to warn him that Dumbledore's there and he's just done with her bullshit. And just tells her to be quiet. And immediately goes to Avada Kedavra Harry. Harry does not have a moment to react to this at all. This just happened way too quick for him. And he's 15. Unfortunately for Voldemort. This is when Dumbledore decides to make his own mic drop entrance. By way of bringing the fountain of magical brethren to life. And one of the statues just jumps off that plinth and takes the spell instead of Harry.
1: So when you were reading this at first, I thought you said he cast a spell to deflect it, and I was like, hold up. (laughs) No, he cast a spell to make something come to life to deflect it. This is a disappointing movie leave out for me. Like, they don't include these beautiful statues coming to life, and I really want to see that. It would have been so cool. Like, this
0: is one of the biggest things that I missed from the battle, I feel like they touched base with several things that did happen. They didn't do it quite how I pictured it, but they still at least alluded to it. But none of this part happened, and I loved the way he used. Especially since it was him doing, like, he was controlling these statues and doing multiple spells at once as well. Like, Dumbledore was really fucking badass in this scene. And movie Dumbledore was pretty badass in this scene, but it wasn't the same. And whereas Sirius Black might be your favorite character, we all know that Dumbledore is mine. I named my cat after him, who is fine, by the way. For all of you that saw the message, he's got bladder stones, but he'll be okay. We had to get him a special diet. Anyway, favorite character. Loved this moment of him getting to be the epitome of what
1: makes Dumbledore such a badass. So I love Michael Gambon, but... I would have loved to see Richard Harris act this out. Right? I just, I have seen many movies with Richard Harris and him being strong, stoic character and not really like athletically inclined because he's old. Yeah. But that would have been awesome to see Richard Harris do this specific thing. I really wish they had gotten his son to play Dumbledore.
0: That could have been really neat. I don't dislike Michael Gambon.
1: Neither do I. I I really like him as Dumbledore. I just would have liked. I wouldn't go that far. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, he's
0: your favorite character, so. He was far too aggressive for the way that I view Dumbledore.
1: You mean, Harry, did you put your name in the Goblet of Fire?
0: That was definitely part of it, but there was just... Everything in the book talks about how he says it calmly, almost detachedly, very quietly. He was so subtle so that when he had moments like this, it was intense. Whereas this entire fucking movie and the one before this, he was just yelling like all the fucking time. And that's just not right. And that might have been more the director's fault than Michael Gambon's fault. But it bothered me. Well, the way he
1: was when he initially appeared in the third one, he was very calm. Michael Gambin played Dumbledore. So chill. Because he was high. He came across high. He was on his gillyweed. It's fine.
0: (laughs) Not that there's a problem with that. I did like him in the third movie a little bit more than fourth or fifth.
1: The sixth one, he gets it back a little bit more. A little bit,
0: but I have notes, so we'll get there. Anyway, Voldemort doesn't actually see Dumbledore. He just sees this golden statue take his spell in place of Harry And is kind of confused, but then sees Dumbledore and it's just like, oh, fuck. And this is when shit really starts to go down. He points his wand towards him, but Dumbledore disappears in a whirl of his cloak and reappears behind Voldemort. And this is also in the same moment. He's like disappearing, reappearing and causing the rest of the fountain to come to life.
1: Is this just because Dumbledore is Dumbledore? That he can disapparate and reapparate in the ministry? Or is security at the ministry so fucking lax that they just don't care if you apparate or disapparate in there? I wonder. I don't know if
0: that was actually apparition either. Maybe he knows a loophole when you're in the same room?
1: Well, Voldemort disapparates. That's true. They specifically say that with Bella. So just a thought. Maybe...
0: Voldemort did something to mess with it
1: that night the... so
0: that his Death Eaters could get in or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah, that's a good thought. I like that.
0: It's also entirely possible that because they thought Voldemort was still gone, they didn't have as tight security at this point and the workers were just allowed to apparate into the atrium.
1: Fudge is a putz.
0: Well, yeah, there is that. Corny fudge. Anyway... Like I said, the rest of the fountain is coming to life. So there's a witch statue that charges at Bellatrix, actually pins her down to the floor. There's a goblin and a house elf that start running towards Voldemort. And then that headless wizard that had been the one that blocked Avada Kedavra for Harry just backs him into the wall, like getting him away from the fight.
1: I love this imagery because the... Creatures that Voldemort would deem not worthy are, are the, the ones, ones charging him. him. I know, yes. it's
0: so great. And I have a feeling Dumbledore did that on purpose, too.
1: Yeah, in the sixth one, you know, he says that they wouldn't have thought that a house elf would be useful. Mm-hmm. That's underestimating other magical creatures. And children, but yeah. This is one of my
0: favorite Dumbledore lines. <laughs> and I'm so glad that it made it into the movie. And I know we've had side conversations about this, but Dumbledore is just like, it was foolish of you to come here tonight, Tom. And I love it for this moment because of the situation. I think that using that as a tool, as we know, when Dumbledore's talking about Voldemort at any other moment, he does actually call him Voldemort. But when he's addressing him directly and challenging him, he takes his power away by being like, yeah, you're Tom.
1: He's still that 11-year-old boy that he met at the orphanage.
0: He's like, I'm going to remind you that I'm older than you. I'm more powerful than you. You're scared of me. And he does it so subtly. They say Dumbledore's the only one he ever feared. That's literally the title of the
1: chapter. I am thinking of this from a teacher-student perspective, though. I know you love Dumbledore, but this seems like a, to me, a teacher using their position above a student. To be fair, he is no longer a student. That's
0: fair. And like I said, he does refer to him as Voldemort every other time he talks about him.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like Dumbledore. I do agree with a lot of the fan theories that he was manipulative and stuff like that, but... um... Oh.
0: Oh, I don't think that's a fan theory at all. I think that he manipulated situations to get the best outcome possible. And it's a lot of power for one person to have, but I think, all things considered, he was a good person to have it because... He was willing to sacrifice everything for himself, too. It's not like he was just asking that of other people. He was leading by example as well. And that's why he had so many people that were loyal to him. Didn't mean he didn't make mistakes. Didn't mean he didn't mess up and do things that were kind of questionable. But in the end, it genuinely was all for the greater good. And it wouldn't have worked out if he hadn't have done it
1: favorite character (laughs) i'm saying yikes thinking about ah, when dumbledore and Grindelwald were in their crazy weird thing which was for the greater good for the greater good and i think about that every time somebody says that i'm like is it for the greater good though is it i don't know that that was then i think that
0: he was young his brain wasn't fully developed He had a lot of ideals. He was really focused on getting to live his own life and having his sister not have to live hidden. So his motivation was skewed then, but I think he learned so much from that. And I also think that Grindelwald was the one who perverted for the greater good.
1: That's fair. Because that was Grindelwald's slogan Yeah. up until he went to his scary place. So like I said...
0: In this moment, I love that he calls him Tom. And I'm really glad the movie included it. But because he does, he's... It was foolish of you to come here tonight, Tom. The oars are on their way. And Voldemort's just super cocky and like, yeah. And by then I'll be gone and you'll be dead. And then fires another killing curse at him.
1: Always his downfall. But this is where the movie gives Dumbledore his grand entrance. So instead of Voldemort being the... Boom, mic, drop. mic dropper. <laughs> it's more Dumbledore, which magical theater should exist. Oh, yeah. is probably great. But Dumbledore's grand entrance is like a phoenix coming from the green flames of the ministry's flu network. He appears. He says it was foolish of you to come here tonight, Tom. So glad they included that. <laughs> and here we begin another magical battle, one full of many intricate magical tricks. So, shooting, left, right, center, very similar to the way it's described in the book, that things are popping off walls and all that stuff is happening. But as they begin to fight, Bellatrix seeps back into one of the fireplaces and dips faster than a Dairy Queen ice cream cone. (laughs) Harry backs up against the wall to watch Voldemort and Dumbledore
0: duel. So he backs up against the wall. He is not backed up against the wall because
1: no statues come to life. Which is disappointing, but Dumbledore does throw him at one point, so yep. still some sort of Dumbledore involvement. Sure does. But their wands connect at the middle, which was supposed to be like a super rare thing that only happened when Voldemort and Harry were in the cemetery.
0: Yeah, that was just the movie trying to make things look intense. I don't know what, like, ugh.
1: This happens a lot in the movies, though, and it doesn't happen a lot in the
0: books. No, and like Jessica said in her pondering last week... Why does every spell throw people backwards? Correct. The movie just does things that look cool or are very dramatic and they don't take the actual implication of what the spell is supposed to do into account, which I
1: get. It's a movie. It's supposed to be visual, but come on. But if you've played any D&D, you know that there are differences in force spells and psychic spells and stuff like that. Psychic spells aren't going to throw you backwards. Psychic spells are going to affect your brain. Right.
0: And that is a little bit more difficult to show visually. But even if you're looking at something like Expelliarmus, that knocks your wand out of your hand. It does not send you flying backwards. <laughs> and it has sent people flying backwards
1: since Harry Expelliarmus Snape.
0: Yeah. Every single time. And then other spells. It just keeps happening. There's no rhyme or reason to what the spells do. And that is frustrating.
1: It does seem like every spell does exactly the same thing, except for Wingardium Leviosa. Yeah. That's the only one that does something different, it seems like. But yeah. yeah. But yeah, their wands (laughs) connect in the middle because it's the movie. Well, you know. And then Voldemort makes his weird flames appear out of his hand as he blows them into a fire basilisk in the room. Yeah, this is kind of a ding. Bellatrix
0: doesn't fuck off before the duel even begins in the book.
1: That shows her lack of loyalty there. Right.
0: The description of the actual battle between the two is different. But like I said, there were similarities about it. Because you've got Dumbledore actually able to deflect Avada Kedavra with a very powerful shield. He might be the only wizard in the world who can do that. But that's what the book says he does. That's fucking insane. Yeah. Because his choice was to just deflect it and not attack back, Voldemort starts trying to taunt him. Like, oh, you're not trying to kill me? And Dumbledore calmly, because that's how Dumbledore talks, says there's other ways of destroying a man. He does also tack on that I admit merely taking your life wouldn't be enough. So he's got his own very subtle taunt back at him. And it really bothers me that this was left out of the movies. I understand that they wanted this to be the big action scene and the dialogue is not as intense. But this conversation really shows who they both
1: are. They cut this conversation, but they add the weird conversation in Seven. Yeah, oh, we'll get to that one too.
0: I have notes there too. But... Baltimore is just like, there's nothing worse than death. And Dumbledore's like, um, yeah, there is. Just a very calm, light disagreement. It's not some big argument. It's just a conversation. It's like a teacher talking to a student in the classroom. They just happen to be in the middle of a to-the-death duel. At least to the death from Voldemort's perspective.
1: Everything is a teachable moment. Right? <laughs>
0: and... At this point, Harry wants to yell out a warning to Dumbledore because even though he's got his wand in his hand, he's not holding it up. He's not doing anything. He's not getting ready to cast spells. He's literally just walking towards Voldemort undefended. And Harry tries to warn him, but he can't get out from around the statue, which just like, I feel like it's doing this, like shuffle back side to side to stop him from getting around. But it makes me mad that this wasn't included because I like seeing the intensity of Voldemort really trying to kill Dumbledore and Dumbledore just trying to be like, I'm not afraid of death. You shouldn't be either. There are way worse things. I'm not going to try and kill you because I admit I would like you to suffer more
1: than that. I think a lot about this moment because this is a lot of insight into Dumbledore's life. And like at this point... He has Aberforth left and that's it as his family. And he doesn't really talk to Aberforth, honestly, because Aberforth's a little bit of a yikes sometimes. But what is he referring to when he's saying that there's things that are worse than death? Is he talking about Ariana and having to live with her the way that she was? Is he talking about living without his parents? Because technically they died. So technically that would be death. But it's all painful for him. All of the things that have been really painful in his life have been steeped in death. Ariana dying was such a big deal for him.
0: Yeah. And I think living with that is worse than death to him.
1: That's fair. That's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah.
0: He also says that Voldemort's inability to understand this is his greatest weakness. And it's going to be his downfall. And ultimately, I'd say it is. It is. Voldemort, of course, doesn't care to hear any of this and just tries to send another killing curse, and the centaur statue gallops in front of it and takes it. It just shatters it into a hundred pieces, so apparently it can kill statues, too. But before those pieces can even hit the floor, Dumbledore brandishes his wand and sends this long, thin flame towards Voldemort, and it wraps around him, and Harry thinks Dumbledore's won at
1: this point, because Harry... He's very 15 in these moments. Yeah,
0: but Voldemort is able to turn that flame into a snake, which then releases him and goes to strike Dumbledore. And that is sort of what happened in the movie. (laughs) There was kind of a snake that came from a flame, but how they brought that about. It was like, they're like, we're going to tickle it. (laughs) This sort of happened. We're just going to make it so much more dramatic. So... The snake is ready to strike, and at the same time, Voldemort, because we've already established that they can apparate and disapparate within the atrium, disappears and reappears up on the plinth where the statue had been, and as the snake's about to strike, he sends another killing curse, getting him from both ends, and... While Dumbledore deals with the snake, Fox swoops down and just eats the jet of green light, which of course kills the phoenix instantly. But it's a phoenix. So it actually turns back into the baby phoenix before it even hits the ground. It just bursts into flames and hits the ground as the reborn baby phoenix. And I
1: love Fox so much. Obviously.
0: It's our podcast name. For
1: Fox's sake.
0: I imagine that's what Voldemort said at this point. For Fox's
1: sake. 100%. Already making dad jokes. (laughs)
0: But then like I was saying, while Fox was dealing with the killing curse, Voldemort turns the snake into a wisp of smoke and at the same time causes the water from the fountain to rise and just sort of globe itself around Voldemort. So it's completely probably suffocating him almost. I don't know if Voldemort knows his spell to breathe underwater. It wouldn't surprise me if he did, but he is trapped in this ball of water and seems to be struggling for a little bit, but then manages to just disappear right out of it. Bellatrix sees this happen and probably panics because she starts screaming for him. And Harry thinks it's all safe now when tries to come out from behind the statue again. But Dumbledore tells him like, no, stay there. And at this moment, he actually sounds scared. This is the first time we get anything out of Dumbledore's voice that is not a calm, teachable moment type situation.
1: He is having, I guarantee he's having flashbacks to his duel with Grindelwald. Probably.
0: Harry doesn't understand why he's scared, but that could be it. And then his scar explodes with pain. So I think this could also have been Dumbledore's fear. I think he says later on, we'll talk about that next week that he suspected this could happen. So I think he was starting to be concerned that this was the route he was going to go when he realized he wasn't going to be able to defeat Dumbledore that way and just full-on possesses Harry. And the way that the book describes it, I don't know how they would have actually portrayed that visually, but I think the book made it sound scarier because... It described it as Harry feeling like he's in the clutches of a creature with red eyes. Assume a snake. Yeah. It sounded creepy. It's bounding him, really just pain. And it then speaks using Harry's mouth, because it is within Harry, and tells Dumbledore that if death is nothing, kill me, kill the boy. And this is quite different as well, because... Harry is feeling such pain. The pain is what's holding him there. He thinks his scar, his head is going to explode. At this point, he's ready to die. And his one thought is that he'll get to see Sirius again.
1: That makes me so sad. I know that that's what, you know, people think about when they're going to die. For, you know, whatever reasons, people think I'll get to see my loved ones again. And Harry... Has not had any loved ones, really. And the ones that he does have, they keep dying. Yeah, and I'm sure
0: that, you know, like, it'd be nice to see his parents, too. But Sirius is...
1: Immediate in his mind. Yeah,
0: the fresh death. Plus, he actually had a relationship with Sirius. And he never got to have that with his parents. So this is his final thought, what he thinks it is. But it fills his heart with such emotion and love that it completely causes Voldemort to lose his grip on him like he can't bear painful. it and all of a sudden the pain goes away and Harry's just left face down on the floor shivering
1: this happens a bit differently in the movie Dumbledore retaliates against the snake trying to attack it and manages to fend it off he steals the water from the fountain which is the same and turns it into this watery orb or as you said a globe around Voldemort Harry gets up and comes from behind like he's going to help Dumbledore. Like this 15 year olds going to help Dumbledore. (laughs) I'm not underestimating Harry. I'm just overestimating Dumbledore. But it's very funny. But Dumbledore quickly throws him back using some magic while still holding the orb. So like you said, he's very powerful. He's still doing all of this stuff. Yeah,
0: it definitely touched base on things that happened. My only real disappointment with it is that he
1: didn't use the statues. I assume that was because CG cost too much. Probably. But Voldemort wriggles out of the water trap and he attacks Dumbledore with the dark force that we talked about earlier. He bursts out screaming, which causes all the windows to shatter in the hall and the glass falls down from above. And destroys the banner of the minister, which I hate that they have this banner. It feels so authoritarian. Authoritarian.
0: Yeah, but also, look at the minister.
1: (laughs) Cornelius is the type that would want to be like, Hello, I'm in charge.
0: Yeah, and they also needed something that they could visually destroy with CGI, because that was the CGI they wanted to include, not the fountain.
1: Well, one of my favorite quotes from Game of Thrones is, If you have to say you're king, you're not much of a king. Accurate. So... Voldemort directs the glass to fly at Harry and Dumbledore, and Dumbledore just throws up this force field that turns the glass back into sand, and it scatters all over him and Harry.
0: I hope they had their eyes closed, though.
1: Sand in the eye would really hurt. Yeah. But the camera goes to Voldemort, and we see, like, major frustration on his face. And he disappears. I assume he turns into sand?
0: It did kind of look like that. Like, he could have been the sand. He could have just been wind yes, moving the Yes, we did talk sand. about him being wind. I don't know.
1: But the sand starts to shift as the camera zooms in on Harry, and Harry gets this really pained look on his face as he falls to the ground. Which does imply that being possessed <laughs> is painful. So, yay. Harry's eyes start to glow as we hear Voldemort's voice come from his mouth. Which ding. is Yeah. It's a ding, and it's scary. Yeah. And he tells... Dumbledore that he's lost, old man. And Harry cries out in pain as memories flow into his head, his parents dying, Sirius dying, Cedric dying. This poor boy has had nothing but death in his life, it seems. But he also sees the Dementor attack this summer, as well as, like, so many other painful memories. Yeah, and I'm not entirely sure why they did all of that. I think it was them trying to show that Voldemort's trying to weaken Harry and show him that his life is nothing but pain. Yeah, maybe. But that causes a problem because Harry's friends appear in the atrium as he's lying there writhing in pain on the floor and Harry sees Ron and Hermione and he's flooded with these happy memories of their friendship as well as his parents and Sirius. Harry tells Voldemort that he's the weak one because he'll never know love and friendship. The memories fast forward through Harry's mind as Voldemort exits his body. Shrouded in this weird frozen time sand tornado thing voldemort towers over harry calling him a fool and telling him that he will lose i think he specifically says you'll lose everything yeah but he goes to lean over to taunt harry some more but he quickly realizes that aurors and the minister have all made their way to the ministry
0: yeah it's basically a similar result it is fully love that sort of frees harry from voldemort's clutches But the movie does physically put his friends in the scene to prompt that. And the book purely uses Harry's love for Sirius as the catalyst. It's also more ethereal. And I know that, again, that's difficult to portray visually. But it's no, like, Voldemort leaning over Harry, taunting him after the fact. He's forced out by that love and is basically gone he briefly reappears to grab bellatrix but in the movie she's already gone so that doesn't happen but then he's gone and it's just a glimpse of him that they see because it does happen that way that this is the moment that everybody else shows up there's a bunch of R's. there's a minister and dumbledore gets to harry leans over him to check on him and harry can hear all of these other voices being like I saw him! You know who? He's there! He grabbed a woman and disappeared. And Fudge is just like, I saw him too, but it doesn't seem like it's possible because he's fucking corny Fudge.
1: This instance where Voldemort disappears with Bellatrix is very interesting to me because he does not give two shits about anybody. So my query is, were they already planning their baby time? Which, if you don't know, Voldemort and... Bellatrix have a baby in Curse Child. And she's the main character in Curse Child, pretty much. Yeah. But was this already planned? And he was like, oh shit, I have to protect myself. Because this is... I don't think under any circumstances he would grab any of his Death Eaters and be like, let's dip. This seems like a very non-Voldemort thing. Unless Delphi was already planned. Yeah.
0: Theoretically could have already been in existence she could have been pregnant at this point
1: timeline lines up with her technically having delphi right before the malfoy manor scene like maybe a few months before the malfoy manor scene in the seventh book which isn't quite the end of the year based on her age so that's after the easter holidays yeah i think it could line up she could be pregnant right now
0: Maybe. Or uh, they're trying. Ew. Ew. (laughs) If you take that as canon. If you take that as canon. That's a separate episode. (laughs) The author does
1: say it's canon. She does. And she made the world, so whatever. Uh. (laughs) But anyway
0: corny fire, just doing that blustery thing where he doesn't think that it's possible that Voldemort's back I'm sorry you know who's back because you know he can't say that name
1: what a turd
0: and Dumbledore just calmly says if you go to the Department of Mysteries you will find several escaped death eaters contained in the death chamber like I said they call that room the death chamber it does imply that they either study death there or sentence people to death there or send them to their death there I
1: don't know It is the death chamber. I think I like the idea that they study death there. I mean, but the way that you described it last week with it having like audience seats around it kind of makes me feel like it's very, I don't know if you get the reference, but Logan's run is set in the future and they basically you have a gem in your hand and when your gem turns white it's your time you have to go and you have to die. Huh. And instead of dying, the main character Logan is like, deuce, I'm not doing that." And he leaves. But that feels very Logan's run. Yeah. Like, let's have this ceremony and we just kill off some folks. Or could be like is that their version of the death penalty? It could yeah, that's what we and talked about before Who knows? before they had dementors.
0: Before they partnered with him. They yeah. might still use it for all we know. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Regardless, Dumbledore speaking up in this moment shocks Fudge because Ugh. he's been on the hunt for him all this time. And now he's just at the ministry. Yeah. And he literally looks like he wants to ask one of his oars to seize him. I just, sir. Right? Dumbledore basically says that. He says, you know, I will fight your men again and win again.
1: I love his confidence or
0: you could look at the fact that you just saw proof. I've been telling you the truth all fucking year and maybe it's time to listen to some fucking sense. I think he doesn't say it like that.
1: That was no he should living <laughs> Cornelius Fudge is so very buffoony, insecure <laughs> Like, he knows that everybody wants Dumbledore to be the minister. And he cannot be like, well, I'm just going to do the best job that I can do for my people. He's got to be like, Dumbledore's going to take my job. Dumbledore doesn't
0: want your job. Dumbledore could have had your job if he wanted your job.
1: Exactly.
0: Regardless corny fudge does that blustery thing again and then eventually agrees to send the auras to the department of mystery but then wants to know what the hell happened which is a fair question it is and dumbledore's like i'll tell you but i gotta get harry back to hogwarts first and now fudge is just like what the fuck harry's here too like what is happening tonight? And Dumbledore's just like, again, I'll tell you when Harry's back at school. And then he proceeds to take the head of that golden wizard statue and turn it into a port key and blustery fudge is just like, you don't have the authority to make a port key, especially not right in front of me. And Dumbledore doesn't even have to say anything. He just gives him a look and he stops. And then he's just like, also... You're going to give the orders to remove Dolores Umbridge from Hogwarts and you're going to tell your oars to stop searching for my care of magical creatures teacher. And then he looks at his watch and just says, I'm going to give you a half hour of my time tonight. If you have any questions after that, you can just reach out to me. I'm sure letters will find me at Hogwarts if you address them to the headmaster. And I love it. He
1: just reinstates himself. But he doesn't have to.
0: It's so great. No, he never actually left, according to the school.
1: In this book, the school pushes against Umbridge. Like, it's like, no, you're not the headmaster. Like, this is Get not out. how that works. So I think that that's really the magic of the school is like understanding that Dumbledore is the best choice to be headmaster or understanding that he's the true headmaster yes and that the ministry should not be stepping in to just put in whoever they think is good enough because they're really bad at that i.e. the government should not be making decisions about people who should be in educational roles (laughs) stupid vouchers but anyway fudge does his
0: blustery thing again And Dumbledore's done with it. He just turns to Harry and he's just like, take this portkey. I'll see you in half an hour. And counts to three. Harry has that familiar portkey jerk feeling they describe from behind the navel. And then it just
1: swirls in color and sound and he's gone. Oh, Harry. The movie super simplifies this part. So we see the camera focus on Fudge who pauses at the sight of Voldemort in the tornado of sand or whatever the sand nato sand nato with the minister in sight voldemort's like deuces but fudge is still somehow astounded and he says he's back what what he's back i really like the actor that plays fudge though i think he did a really good job
0: oh absolutely i'm not insulting him in any
1: way no fudge is dumb the character is the dumb one like he's just dude yeah dude absolutely but then it shows the Daily Prophet articles that Fudge resigned, Umbridge was fired, and Harry and Dumbledore were right all along. And he who must not be named, a.k.a. Voldemort, a.k.a. Tom Riddle, is back. And that is where both the movie and book section end. Yay! For this episode. For this episode. We did
0: mention that we wanted to talk a little bit about Helena Bonham Carter because this is one of her biggest scenes. Absolutely. And I don't blame her for the laying
1: on the ground in fear thing. I think that was a director's choice. Oh, absolutely. She seems like one who takes direction really well. And she probably does do a little of her own makeup stuff. Oh, I'm positive that some of her direction is just be you. Absolutely. And
0: if I had wanted Bellatrix to be afraid in that scene, she did so good. I just didn't want to see that there.
1: No, because she would never be afraid of a 15-year-old. And she definitely wasn't in the book. No. But
0: though I killed Sirius Black, like, all of that stuff, like, her craziness
1: just oozed in this scene. Oh, she's so great. She's wonderful. She's a very good actress. I always enjoy her in everything that I've seen. Everything. And it's a nice wide variety, too. Oh, yeah. I shared a picture of a young Helena Bonham Carter to our Facebook page that said that she could have played a perfect Hermione Granger as a young girl.
0: That hair. She was still too pretty. Not that Hermione isn't pretty, but I really wanted to see the buck teeth. And I wanted to see the awkwardness and
1: super frizzy hair. I do appreciate that you see Hermione's growth. In the books, you see her start this really awkward, socially anxious 11 year old who starts at Hogwarts. And then by four, when she's going out with a famous Quidditch Quidditch player, she's like, I'm hot. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. She has a lot of growth. But Helena Bonham Carter in this entire series is perfect. And I also love how Tom Felton was like everybody was saying how they had a crush on Emma. And then it got to Tom Felton and he was like, oh, I had a crush on Helena Carter."
0: <laughs> well, so did Daniel Bradcliffe. He said that in the 20th anniversary yeah. thing. And oh that's my so gosh. cute. I love it. But I kind of have a crush on her. So I get it. She's great. I think we can also mention like honorable mention. He didn't do any more than he normally does. But Ray Fiennes as Voldemort. I just want to say that I'm disappointed they didn't give him the dialogue.
1: The whole leaving out the duel is duel conversation is frustrating because we've had this conversation that they parallel that in the seventh one, but they also leave it out in the yeah, seventh one. In
0: this scene between Dumbledore and Voldemort, this duel with that conversation when he's teaching and explaining and kind of belittling him. Dumbledore mm-hmm. is kind of belittling Voldemort, which I think is
1: why I kind of have a problem with this. But I also kind of love it because Voldemort's super evil. I mean, absolutely. As teachers, we have been there yes. with that student that you're like, ah. But he is a grown man who's making super evil
0: choices at this point.
1: He's a grown man that's making childish choices, I guess, is a really good way to put yeah. it. Which I think is why Dumbledore has not let go of that teacher. He's like, I can show you the better way. He tries. He does. But in
0: the seventh book there is an absolute parallel of the way that Harry talks to Voldemort when they are in their final Mm -hmm. duel which we'll talk more about then but the fact that they left that out really upsets me and I want to know how you feel about it so that's our Potter pondering how do you feel about the movie leaving out the dueling conversation between Dumbledore and Voldemort find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your responses a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. We really look forward to reading
1: them, hearing them, and seeing them. As we mentioned last week, We are also doing a lot of changes and new stuff to our Patreon, including creating more Discord channels where our patrons can discuss the ponderings. So stay tuned for more
0: information about that. We do have a Sorting Hat story this week from Carissa Rose. So yay. Yay. She writes, I never loved reading. It was a chore for me when I discovered Harry Potter at the Scholastic Book Fair during school. I can't tell you how old I was, elementary school aged. I found myself lost in another world of wonder, an escape from my reality. My mom was ecstatic to see that this book had given me a love of literature, so she went out and bought the next book for me. After that, my parents got the books each time they released, many midnight releases too, and i devour them in days. I did not reread the series repeatedly until I was older, and as much as I love reading now, this is by far my favorite series. After listening to Ellen and a couple of Keepers make the recommendation, I will be purchasing the audiobooks. When I was young, I always sorted into Gryffindor, and I think that's because of how much I wanted to be like the main characters. I've been there. Years later, after many fan fictions, I have done the Pottermore quiz again to find I'm a Slytherin. I know this is my true house, I just didn't want to admit it when I was younger. I've had a few different accounts, and my wand varies from 13 and 3 quarters to 14 and 1 quarter because I'm so tall, so I'll just use my favorite. My wand is ash wood with a dragon heartstring core, 14 and 1 quarters, and unbending flexibility. My Patronus is a Mastiff. I wasn't very excited by this result, but after hearing all the different types, I will take it.
1: I love that so much. Also, our wands are the same. Mine is Ashwood with dragon heartstrings. It's shorter than yours, though. You are not tall. I mean, you're tall, but you're not that tall. I'm
0: not that tall. No. But yeah, thank you so much for sharing your sorting hat story with us,
1: Carissa. Absolutely. Thank you. And if any other keepers want us to read their sorting hat stories, you can email them to us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com or message them over social media. Let us know your house, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else you might want to share with us.
0: This week our trivia question is, which order member does Dumbledore say needs to spend more time at St. Mungo's? The first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word, hashtag
1: Mungo Madness will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes. If you don't have an Apple account, then you can write us a recommendation on our Facebook page. Make sure to email us at forfoxsakepodcast at gmail.com to let us know you did and we will get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget
0: to find us and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Threads, TikTok, and Twitter at foxsakepod. Following us on Podbean at foxsakepod.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. You can also go to our website at ForFoxSakePodcast.com to check out our For Fox Sake and Harry Potter-related merchandise for sale.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we post our weekly podcast episodes, cooking show episodes, vlogs, bloopers, and other random videos. We have a bit of a backlog on episodes, but we hope to get caught up this summer. If you would like to support us as a patron, you can sign up on patreon.com slash $2 and up a month will get you some awesome perks like For Fox Sake swag, access to our Discord channel, chats, virtual hangouts, and more. And join
0: us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 37, The Lost Prophecy, and the extremely abbreviated corresponding film scenes.
1: Thanks for listening. Hope you hear us again. I'm Carly. I'm Ellen. And we are For, for Fox Sake. sake.